you know, the trails here were definitely one of the reasons why we moved up here on top of Mount Bohemia. It's really, you know, the trail club was, um, and the trails around Copper Harbor was probably the, the main driving factor to us to move up here. Um, and I think the trails mean a lot to the community. I think it's a core part of a lot of the businesses now income is the mountain bikers coming in to ride. Welcome to Trail Effect. I am your host, Josh Blum. Trail Effect is a show that dives into the stories behind trails, the communities that embrace trails, and the people who rely on trails as a way of life. The goal of this show is to turn the stories you will hear from our guests into useful knowledge that can be applied to your community while providing some entertaining and inspirational content. Guests on Trail Effect include trail builders, board members, community leaders, volunteers, and regular people who really enjoy trails. Chris Kubera is our guest for episode two. This is also part two of the Copper Harbor series. Note, this is a relaunch episode that first aired on September 17th of 2020. Chris is a man of many stories and has lived in many places, yet he decided to make Copper Harbor his permanent base camp. Take a listen and learn more about Chris Kubera. Support for Trail Effect comes from Smith's Bike Shop in La Crosse, Wisconsin. Smith's is a full-service bike shop that is a retailer for Trek Bicycle Company and Salsa Cycles. Smith's also has a full line of components and accessories from Bontrager and other various companies. For more information about Smith's Bike Shop, go to www.smithsbikes.com. A special thanks goes out to Ben Wellenick of Mountain Bike Radio for supporting this podcast and to the people who have shared their time and knowledge. Without this, we would not have these stories to tell. This podcast is an Evolution Trail Services production. For more information about Evolution Trail Services, go to www. EVOTrails.com. Welcome back to the Copper Harbor series. Today I have Chris Guibert, who is involved with many things up here in Copper Harbor. Welcome, Chris. Thank you. It's awesome to have you and to be able to, to do these interviews up here in, in Copper Harbor and kind of tell, tell the backstory in the community that this place has, because it's a pretty awesome place. So what's, what's your backstory, your early years and whatnot? Yeah, I mean, um, Copper Harbor is probably the last place I think I would have ended up in the long run. But um, I grew up originally in New Jersey, probably about 20 minutes outside of New York City in an affluent suburb and um, was kind of an independent kid, artsy. Didn't really do many team sports, but was a big skateboarder back then. So that's kind of where, amazingly, my uh, love of mountain biking started as in skateboarding. And as kids, we'd go down to Jersey Shore and we'd surf in the summer, bought some of the original Burton snowboards. So we were hiking up the local sledding hills, um, always kind of pushing ourselves and our small group of friends. We rode half pipe and stuff like that. And I had, I always worked as a kid and um, as Age 17, I think I had a job in a corporate office for AT&T, and that was a great learning lesson for me. It helped steer my ship for the rest of my life. And basically what that was is a job that I never wanted to do, and that was to work in a cubicle. So um, I was also a little new. I wasn't really meant to be in New Jersey. So I applied to schools as far away as possible. And the farthest one I could get into that I could afford or was uh, University of Arizona in Tucson. So I went to school also at the age of 17 there and um, yeah, started studying business and got a, a mountain bike as my way of transportation. And at that point, I was kind of out of skateboarding, kind of directed all that adrenaline 
individual sports energy into mountain biking and uh, immediately found a group of friends that were getting into riding. Obviously, the bike I first bought was completely the wrong size and other stuff. It was a Cannondale um, and then immediately started getting dialed into biking. At that point, I was in the business school in Arizona, kind of had a uh, vision or I don't know if it would be a vision, but a foresight into um, during an accounting class, we'll call it an epiphany. And uh, <laughs> that was realizing that that once again, I found myself leaning towards um, the corporate side of America, going down this business route and then decided to leave school, drop out and went to the Barnett Bicycle Institute in Manitou Springs in Colorado for a three-week mechanic course, did a big drastic shift. Just I knew at one point that for me, I, I was definitely like a hippie kid at that point and I was bound to my hippie ethics and that was to not to not work for a company or a situation that would be that could do harm to the world. So that's um, lots of different industries, even though I, you know, still put gas in my car and, you know, use timber in my buildings, but I, there's just certain industries I knew I couldn't work with. And when I, what I deducted was the bike industry really only had positive impacts on the planet. So then I took the mechanic course and then I came back to Tucson and started working in bike shops then. So when I was doing a little bit of research on you, I noticed that you at one point had a, a company called Arizona Off-Road Adventures. Let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So me and a buddy in the bike shop, Rob Reed, who's an entrepreneur now, we kind of spearheaded a, a, a race team and started based around the bike shop, Bargain Basement Bikes, right next to the university there compiled a group of riders and we formed a race team, got sponsors and started doing the Arizona kind of off-road mountain bike series. Um, it was a great learning lesson um, in multiple ways. And one of them, we were always trying to figure out how, how, how can you get paid to ride, you know? And, you know, there's, I think a lot of us had, you know, have had hopes of becoming a professional bike racer at some point and, uh, I think as reality sets in, we realize that we're probably not going to be in that small percentage of people that actually gets paid to do that. So at that point, I got a small inheritance, $10,000. This is my second or third year at the bike shop. We and my partner, Rob, who also worked at the bike shop, were kind of doing some research and we felt that there was a need for a company in Tucson um, that did guided bike tours. There was already a, a plethora of companies doing everything from Mule tours, horseback tours, hiking tours, off-road vehicle tours. We saw kind of a niche in that market. So we started that with a van and about uh, 15 rental bikes. We went out, we made um, connections and contacts with all the concierges at the different resorts around Tucson. And we came up with some uh, kind of radical marketing plans to get this thing out into the world. So that company, we offered um, half-day, single-day, and multi-five-day trips around the state of Arizona. And that lasted for about five years. That's awesome. So uh, from that, I believe you got into photography? Got into photography. Yeah. Part of that, part of our job was that we, we were also listed as location scouts. So what had happened is we had formed a relationship with Bike Magazine at one point where we went to Interbike, the trade show with, you know, and I'm going to go out on a limb here, 
that um, we heard that the editor of Bike Magazine at that point was a, a big stoner. So the marketing plan was that we were going to go get, I'm not going to mention That's his name. Alleged. <laughs> What's that? It's an alleged <laughs> assumption. Error. Right. <laughs> so we went and the whole marketing plan was we're going to go get the um, editor of Bike Magazine stoned and tell him about our company. We had also put together a special tour for our friends back then. Like, let's let's put a date on this. This is like 1994, 1995. We called it the Old Buds Tour. So what we did is we went out at that time. We purchased five different types of Kind Bud, and then we typed up a We're way I, past the statute of limitations. <laughs> I, we typed up an itinerary saying we will ride this trail, camp at this great campsite. And then smoke this kind of weed for the day. So we had that all typed up on our official letterhead. We launched, um, we went out on our plan to the bike, uh, to the trade show. And we went to the bike magazine booth. We there, then found the editor of Bike Magazine. We said, hey, would you like to come and come up to our room and get high? And he's like, sure, I'd do that. Because we got a room right where the, uh, the convention was. So we went up to the room, got him high, and we handed him the itinerary and said, you should come on this. And he looks at it and he's like, this is, this is two months away. You know, I'm going to Jamaica. I have this, this, these take, these trips take six months to a year to plan out. I was like, okay, well, you're invited. So we go home and to date the story, uh, then following week we get a fax and that says, I'm, I'd like to come on this tour and I'm bringing one of these top photographers in the, in the industry with me. And we're like, great. He comes out, ends up writing a feature piece where he writes the old buds theme, quote unquote, kind of written between the lines where it's written for the masses. But if you were tuned in, you probably would have read between those lines and figured out what it was really about. So that was eight pages, approximately $80,000 worth of advertising for a little two-man company that pretty much um, launched us into a national level company and gained us sponsors from Patagonia, North Face, multiple different bike product companies were reaching out to us. That led to different film crews, including Radical Films, came down and filmed a segment. We had a show on, back then there was only two ESPNs, ESPN1 and ESPN2. There was a show on ESPN2 called Men's Journal. They came out two years in a row where we eventually started producing the second show and, and led to multiple other magazine articles, PBS shows, working with different photographers and videographers at that time. So that really sparked my love of photography. I didn't even really pick up a camera till age 25 or own one. And um, But be working through with all these amazing creative types, I was kind of tapping back into my artistic side and um, started then to shoot and pursue that as a passion. To kind of give closure to the Arizona Off-Road Adventures chapter, we ran that company September through April. And in the off-season, I would take jobs with adventure cycling, guiding their mountain bike tours around the country. I was also instructing at their leadership training courses. And um, I think in 1998 or 99, I got offered to guide the first trip down the Continental Divide mountain biking route. That was billed as a 75-day trip. It's approximately, can't even remember the mileage on that, a lot. Uh, it's either 2,000 or 3,000 miles. Um, the trip had never been done before. It was going to be done without vehicle support. 
And at that time, it was Bob Trailers and kind of Panniers. There was the bike backing ev- revolution really hadn't started that much yet. So then I came off my season in April. I prepared for that trip, which was leaving in June, and um, guided that 75 day trip, which was an amazingly difficult physical and mental challenge. There were some big group dynamic issues with that. And um, that kind of burnt me out on the guiding part of my life for a little while. So then I came back. My partner had already left the company for an internship at Bike Magazine. And then I sold the company and went back to school for photography at Colorado Mountain College outside of Glenwood Springs. What type of photography have you been into since then? Yeah, it was. um, So I did. Two years, it was, and this is the year 2000. I was 30 years old. It was right at the cusp of digital kind of evolving to, uh, at the professional level. So even in, while I was in the program, I was in a constant battle with the professors because we had to develop all of our assignments in black and white. And I was saying this is a complete waste of time. And, um, so as soon as I left school, I got a job in Aspen, Colorado at a digital art lab called Digital Arts Aspen. It was a nonprofit that worked on different projects that were that got solicited from around the world. And also with we had a studio set up with some of the latest digital gear from printers to cameras. Got really familiar with that to the point where the college asked me back to teach a digital imaging class. And with that and the heads of the department re- reworked the whole curriculum to be based on digital. And black and white, which was the core of the curriculum, then became an elective. Um, so from there, I did that for a year and realizing that it's really impossible to try to lay roots into the Roaring Fork Valley outside of Aspen. Um, the cost of buying a home, as you can imagine, is, is pretty astronomical. So me and my, um, Wife at the time, we sought out small mountain communities and moved to North Idaho. And that's where I started my commercial photo business. And that was everything from assignments for bike, mountain flyer magazines. I targeted mid-level businesses that had a marketing budget. So that was restaurants, regional publications, breweries, wineries up in that region, and uh, secured a contract with the Schweitzer Ski Area for a couple of years also. So uh, my motto back then is I never said no to any project or assignment and was just trying to push myself in all different directions to kind of just round out my skills as a photographer. Wow, that's a pretty amazing story. You've done a lot of stuff there. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I was always uh, from like at that young age, as you said, I, I just did, I would make radical decisions at, and on an instant change on a dime. And, um, you know, I moved even from there, I moved to Lake Tahoe. I did a season in Mammoth. I was always willing to just kind of go for it in a way and not look back. And my theory was I can always go back. So if I, left an area or moved. Um, I always knew I could come back to an area, but I was always seeking the next adventure, the next push of um, who or what I could become. So that brings us to how you ended up in the Keweenaw Peninsula. 
that's got to be a pretty interesting story in itself because it's nowhere near any place we've talked about so far. Growing up on the East Coast, living on the West Coast, um, living in the Rocky Mountains, the last place I ever thought I would move to is the Midwest. And uh, would always jokingly make fun of, you know, friends of mine that came from the Midwest and stuff like that. Being from Jersey, I have that sarcastic sense of humor where I look for your um, sensitive points and then go from there. But um, so me and my uh, girlfriend now, Amy, my fiance, we um, both lived in North Idaho. We were both just wanting something different. So we wanted to um, we wanted to live in a city for a while. So we purchased this is kind of now at the the recession years of can I remember what that would be now? Yeah, mid to late 2000s, 2008, 2009. So we had friends in Minneapolis. We had visited a couple times and we decided that we were going to buy a house in one of the great neighborhoods near Minnehaha Falls, a fixer upper that was uh, going to be torn down. And we just bought it on a whim and then moved there and spent two years fixing it up and kind of living there taking in the city. And from there, you know, we started exploring outwards. And so I had heard about Mount Bohemia just in the skiing world. And so I was like, I'm going to go pitch a story to Powder. So I went up there. I didn't really even uh, contacted the editor. I was just went up there under the and told everybody I was there doing research for a story for Powder. So I got the Mount Bohemia bug, got some waste powder, stayed in uh, the hostel yurt, which was, you know, back then there was no, none of the log cabin buildings. It was really just the yurts and a couple of small little cabins for people to stay in and um, just kind of fell in love with the area. And then the next summer, and of course, when I like, you know, was calling Amy and telling Amy about how great it was, she's like the last. Don't even try to get me to move there. The last place I'm moving to is Michigan. So then the next <laughs> summer, we took a van tour up in the summertime. We drove the coastal roads along Eagle, Har Eagle Harbor, Eagle River, up to Copper, did some biking, and then um, started driving by Mount Bohemia and drove down to Lac La Belle. And there was this little tiny shithole of a shack that was had a for sale sign on it. And uh, at this point, Amy was totally, she's like, stop the van. And we stop and we, we look at it. It's got a, you know, it's walking distance ski area, 150 feet of waterfront, just dilapidated outhouse and little beat down sauna shack and a two room, a mud room and a 400 square foot little cabin. And she's like, I think this is enough of a shithole. We could afford this. And... <laughs> So we call up the uh, realtor. He's we're like we're interested in this place. Do you think we could stay here? So they he calls the owner. They're like you're welcome to stay there. So we stayed a week in our camper van. We sucked in the whole property and the Kiwana, and purchased that property immediately after that trip, and that started our roots here. And eventually, friends of ours up here. Wanted to go to a school. His name's Ryan Holt. He's now a medic up here, but he wanted to go back to EMT school in Minneapolis. So we did kind of a trade where we he we rented our house in Minneapolis to him, and then we moved up here and purchased another property at that time, which became the Beach Cabin, our our main vacation rental. 
the shack we lived in for, we did buy another house in Calumet because the shack has no running water and, and still doesn't, but we did tour, tear down the original shack just last year. So we did stay in that shack for seven winters at Mount Bohemia and, um, you know, use the outhouse and use the facilities at, uh, Bohemia. It was only heated by a wood stove with virtually no insulation in the building. So, um, yeah, but just this year, we finally had the ability and the, the finances to tear it down and we've rebuilt it into kind of a, a dream, a dream place on the, on the lake now. So as you were here, obviously you became more involved with the community and whatnot. Let's transition into your involvement with, with the trails club and what, and what that means to you. Yeah. Like wherever I lived, I was always involved in the trails trails um club you know whatever version of that was they were all imba affiliated clubs and even you know my timing was i was always all over the place so i would never make it to meetings i could never hold like an official position in a club and and even you know sometimes we would just do our own renegade trail maintenance projects because it was just we got kind of sick of the red tape of um, always dealing with the government out west the federal government so when we moved here and I knew we'd be here for a while, I really wanted to get involved at the next level. And um, so I went to the club and sat, we, me and Amy both sat in on a meeting and we sat in on like a board meeting. And I don't, I don't know if they ever had a guest at a board meeting before. We kind of took them aback and we're like, are the meetings <laughs> open to the public? And they're like, yeah, we have these different committees and, but the board, every meeting's open. So we came and we got introduced and um, I, realized what a great pe- group of people it was and really that made me want to get involved. So then I came to an events committee meeting and the first thing, Lori, who was in charge of, she was our executive director at the time. She said, um, bring ideas. Those were her like one sentence to me very directly. So then the next meeting I came back, I thought on it and I dwelled on it and uh, I wrote up two proposals. One was for uh, uh, something called Art Bike. The other one was called um, Trail Club Ale or Point Trail Ale. So um, I presented these two at the meeting, um, which was just an events committee meeting. She then suggested come back to the board meeting and because these were kind of bigger concepts beyond that. And then Soon after that, I was asked to become a board member and graciously accepted. And I've been sitting on the board since then. So that's been about four or five years now. And um, yeah, so those two ideas took a couple of years to come into fruition. But the first one is Art Bike, which is kind of based around um, Art Crank in Minneapolis. So when we were in Minneapolis, one of the big events in the cycling community there um, and that's another reason that we were drawn to Minneapolis was the cycling community. Um, it's one of the top rated cycling cities in the country. And um, that's one of the things that did lure us to the Midwest. And um, so one of the big events in the community there is it's called Art Crank. It's like a custom handmade. I'm not, I don't know if handmade is the right word, but it's a show by various Minnesota artists um, where they donate posters to to this event and then the event sells those posters has a huge it's it's moved from different breweries it keeps getting bigger and bigger thousands of people come to it um it's you know it's one of those classic annual events for the community cycling community and 
you know, that idea really resonated with me the, the few years I went. So the art bike concept was similar on a smaller scale for the Keweenaw size. And it was called Art Bike. I kind of found 10 artists. I think in the year one, it was 10 artists, 11 of us, or maybe 11. We each did a digital poster. I did all the printing. We had no idea um, how this would go or the success of it. And um, so it was open to photographers, anybody willing to make a design. So we did 40 limited edition prints. I printed them all, all 440 prints. And then we took one big print um, that was two foot by three foot, mounted that. At that time, they were mounted on a piece of um, just like a thick, um, I don't know, some just like a cardboard board backing. And uh, we hung those up and we auctioned off those pieces. To my surprise, um, we held our first show at Experience to Keweenaw and one of the nights inside the community center. Huge turnout. And then we had a second event at the Trails Fest in Labor Day. So between those shows and I think after my expenses were covered, the, the Trails Club uh, netted between nine dollars and $10,000 on that. And it kind of opened our eyes into the potential of this. So that show, 2020 would be its fifth year now. We have kind of a a roll call out to a continuing roll call out to artists. People are reaching out, out to us to get involved these days as opposed to me reaching out to them. So I ran that show for four years. This year, I handed the torch over to Nathan Miller, our executive director at the Copper Harbor Trails Club, and he's now handling the printing and the kind of, you know, management of the artist. And it's all, everybody's volunteering their design. So it was kind of a concept of how can us artists, usually the poor artists, we're usually the poor artists, how can we contribute to the Trails Club if we don't have money? So. Um, an artist will donate a design, then we print those, and then we sell the limited edition prints. So I think in 2019, the show grossed close to $20,000, bringing in probably fifteen dollars to $16,000 worth of profit to the club. This year, because of COVID, all sales are online. Um, so you can find those right on the Copper Harbor Trails Club website. And um, Art Bike continues in its new form of an online art show. Um, and hopefully we bring back the events. Um, we usually have the inaugural unveiling show at Experience the Keweenaw up at the community center on um, Saturday night, I think. And then on Sunday, we set up outside at uh, Saturday and Sunday at Trails Fest and do a big outdoor art show then too. And it's really become a piece of the puzzle to these events too, because when you have big events like that and you got people coming from all across the Midwest and the country, you know, I, I was always trying to bring up ideas besides racing. And um, because the races are the big event to those events, but I was always like the festivals that I attended where there was other things to do that were cycling oriented as a piece of that festival puzzle. So I think. Those events, whatever they are, it used to be the dock jump. It used to be um, 
just different things that add a lot of dimension to the people's experience while they're there. So um, I'm very proud to say that Art Bike continues on in its fifth year. I don't see that it will ever end. And um, if you are an artist out in the Midwest and would love to donate a um, a design, please reach out to the club. That's awesome. So you've been, you know, you got here, you got involved pretty early. What is what do you think the trails in general have meant to this community as a whole? You know, the trails here were definitely one of the reasons why we moved up here on top of Mount Bohemia. It's really, you know, the trail club was um, and the trails around Copper Harbor was probably the, the main driving factor to us to move up here. Um, and I think the trails mean a lot to the community. I think it's a core part of a lot of the businesses now income is the mountain bikers coming in to ride. Probably six or seven years ago before I got involved in the club, they did do an economic study. MTU did an economic impact study on how much of the trails were impacting the town and the towns bring in. And I think at that point, it was kind of a rough study. It's hard to pinpoint the exact numbers, but it got estimated, I think, around 20% to 30%, and this is maybe seven or eight years ago, of the business's revenues were being brought in by bikers. I think if we read that study now, it would be a higher number than that for sure. So I think a lot of these small businesses, you know, Copper Harbor is the farthest town from any interstate highway in the lower 48. And I think. You know, no one's just passing through here. You have to decide to come here. So there's everything from car tourists to sightseers to historical buffs to rock hounds to um, cyclists that are contributing to or are driven to get up here. So and we all contribute a piece of the pie to keep these businesses afloat up here. But I think the cyclists as the, the trails up here have risen in popularity and I think the cyclists are really a major part of that piece of the pie. And any business owner in town would let you know that and would agree with that statement. And I think it's helping change the community. Um, you know, there might be a little grief to some people that like their sleepy little community without the cyclist. But um, I think overall, the cyclists um, have added the next glimmer of hope for these remote communities of how do they sustain long-term um, viability and how do these businesses survive? Because in the past, like towns out west, a lot of these mountain towns were built on mining and forestry and other things. And as those, if the mine goes away or if the forestry, if the, the trees have been harvested and Tourism seems to move into those uh, into that next slot of what's the future look like. So, I think Copper Harbor is a tourist town now. I don't know of any other industry that's really supporting it, and um, and I think that the bikers are having a major impact to that. So, I see you know if you go to the brewery, you'll see art bike posters hanging on the brewery um, walls. If you um, We've had um, hotel managers on the board of directors at the Copper Harbor Trails Club. We've seen the community reach out to the bikers, and I think the bikers love that because it's a special place. Dang, on the on the tourism side of things, you did a project, I believe it was last year, with uh, Pure Michigan. 
And that was a, a video project called Earn Your Turns. Yeah, it was um, an interesting series. So, um, and I think it was the year before. It was the same year. So the, the trails, the there has been the Copper Harbor Trails Fest was in its 25th year. I think now it's in its 27th year in 2020. So that two years ago, that was a special year. So at that point, Pure Michigan or one of the companies that promote uh, produces content for Pure Michigan was reaching out to the club and reaching out to me saying they want to do a piece on something about the club. So we were all trying to push them to do, it seems, you know, a significant milestone of um, we're in, coming into our 25th year. Let's do a piece on the Trails Club, uh, the Trails Festival. And they kept steering the ship away from that idea. And basically what it came down to is they, they, they reached out and said they wanted to do something on me. And, you know, I'm being a relatively new to the area at that time, it was seven or eight years, I would be relatively new that I, 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 d I didn't feel like I wanted to be the center of focus. I wanted to steer the ship otherwise. But the reality was that they were working a series on different people involved in different communities that were passionate about the outdoors. So they had done a series on a, a fly fishing outfitter in um, the southern part of Michigan. And then they had slated to also do a piece on a surf shop and the owner of the surf shop and the network of people around the surf shop. And then the feature of the Copper Harbor was going to be featured on me and kind of my connection to the community and the biking and how it's um, integrated into the community. So hearing that made me a little more at ease to be kind of the center of attention on that piece. And I'd have to say the final product, I think it's a 12 minute video. You can find it on YouTube or on the Pure Michigan. You just uh, Google Pure Michigan, earn your turns is the name of it. And um, I would say it had a resounding impact to bringing even more cyclists up here. Because I'm featured in a video, I find myself getting stopped in the streets. Part of the deal that I made with them, if they were going to feature me, that they had to feature my uh, dog, Gigi, the Chihuahua. So um, she's a little trail running dog. Um, so that was my one uh, stipulation of me being involved at that level was that they had to do a piece on Gigi. So I find myself getting stopped on the streets as, hey, there's Gigi's dad, or they don't know my name, which is fine. But um, I'm now Gigi's dad. And even kids have come up to me. And as I'm in line for the shuttle at the adventure company and saying, hey, you're the guy in the video. I just watched that video like 10 times. And the dad came over to me one time and was like, you know, watching your video was the reason why we're up here right now. And so I went and did a run with his kids. And I, I, was, I had a moment of being a, a celebrity there for about uh, five minutes on this run. And I think I made their day. So I can say it has that video has been a really positive driving force to to get bikers from across Michigan to make their way um, to Copper Harbor. That's a it's an awesome video, and we'll and we'll link the uh, video in the show notes so people will be able to get to that video from there as well. As we're sitting here today, we're actually recording this outside at the Keweenaw Mountain Lodge, which kind of I think brings us to our next chapter, or your next chapter, and what you're doing up here. You want to explain 
you know, what your role is at the Keweenaw Mountain Lodge and what, what people can find out here at the Keweenaw Mountain Lodge when they come up. Yeah, there's been a kind of an amazing shift up here. The uh, Keweenaw Mountain Lodge is a historic lodge built during the CCC era. It was a work uh, project that was um, put on by the state of Michigan to get people to work during the depression. So it was built in 33 and 34. During that time, they um, built a golf course in a lodge that probably most resembles some of the great lodges at the national parks out West built during a similar time. So what they did is they harvested the logs from the property, cleared those, the, the holes for the golf course and used those logs to build the lodge and about 20 log cabins that sit around the lodge itself. So the lodge has been owned by different entities throughout, throughout history. And up until the last um, two years ago, the, the lodge was owned by the Keweenaw County. And during that time period, when the county owned it, it, it was losing money. So it became a burden to the county. Um, it had taken out some loans to kind of winterize the cabins. Um, they thought those loans would be would not have to be paid, but then the um, government was requiring them to be paid. So the lodge was in debt. The county owned it. County taxpayers were covering that debt. So it was getting frustrating for the county. So the lodge went up for sale. It was on for sale for a year. There was no real buyers. So then it went up for auction two years ago. And um, the latest owner, John Mueller, had acquired that the property through an auction. So now it is privately owned once again. And um, John is a professor at a university in a college down in Austin, Texas in entrepreneurship and marketing. This is a very complex business to run and he's a guy filled with great ideas. So one of the things that had the, what, how it was being run had to change. So one of the things that the lodge wasn't really doing well was kind of welcoming the mountain bikers. So this summer I was hired on to kind of establish a mountain bike program here at the lodge. So there's been some shifts. It's always been kind of known as a golf course, but really it wants to be known as a outdoor recreation based lodge now. So the, one of the first things we did was change the pro shop to the outdoor activity center with biking, hiking and golf all having equal billing. And then the next thing we do is start did was build a bike wash, a bike works workstation, and you know the basic kind of amenities you need to have to um, that mountain bikers and cyclists need. And as this program develops, we're working on new ideas. Some of the new concepts hopefully will be executed. Is a pump track. John also built the first year he owned a lodge of three or four miles of desperately needed beginner trails that leave right from the lodge. Um, the Copper Harbor Trail System is a pretty advanced trail system. So there was, um, we've always been looking for areas just due to the terrain of where we could put some beginner trails. So that was one of the first things that they did for the mountain bike community was build these beginner trails. Now we're building on top of that. So. In the next year, we hopefully to build another beginner trail that will circumnavigate the whole lodge and the golf course. We're looking at putting in a pump track that's also beginner kid friendly. And um, 
continuing on this development of adding mountain biking to the core one of the core things to do if you're staying here at the lodge and then next year we just uh formed a relationship with trek bikes and we will be having this as a trek rental center also so you'll be able to rent bikes from here too so what other what other projects are you working on up here i know you're also doing some photography yeah i'm um you know i've been you know it's a it's a tough place to make it as a commercial outdoor space photographer so um i did a shift in my own photography business last couple of years i've been taking on different social media projects for various companies i've been working with the mount bohemia facebook page i've launched the nordic spa instagram page and just recently, I started working with Rock Solid Contracting on both their Instagram page, their Facebook page, and um, their new bike park called East Bluff, which you probably heard about when you've talked to Aaron Rodgers. So I'm also currently running their those Instagram pages too. So constantly creating imagery based around the biking. Even last year, I was hired by the town of Copper Harbor to photograph every business in town. So top of all these other things doing i'm doing i'm uh out there shooting uh multiple times a week organizing shoots uh organizing riders connecting with business owners um just pushing myself as a photographer and um trying to really give this community um the kind of the limelight it deserves a little bit well i think dude i think we covered everything yeah, it feels like a lot. I feel like that was a lot about me, but um, you know, I'd like to say to anybody and everybody out there listening, if you haven't been up to Copper Harbor to ride and you're a mountain biker, I would definitely uh make the trip and even if you just want to see a unique part of the world, the trails are amazing whether you're hiking or biking. Uh the shoreline along Lake Superior is one of the most unique coastlines in all of the country and um it is well worth the trip. I pretty much guarantee if you come up here once that you will be back again. Yeah. One of, one of the things that, you know, I, I come up here at least twice a year, like to come up more. But one of the things that I always tell people about this place is the diversity of trails. Like it doesn't have the sheer volume that some communities have, but the quality is super high and the diversity of trails is super high also. And now with the QNL point trail, which is kind of more of a, a back, true backcountry type of experience. You know, that's adding to that diversity. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if, if you've been following the club and you're following the Point Trail project, it's a project in its 10th year. We've been building it in sections. Um, section one was completed probably six, seven, eight years ago. Then uh, Point Trail phase two was built about four or five years ago. Right now, Rock Solid is working on a connector between those two. It's called One. 1.5. I know these names are really creative, but that's where it's at right now. And then the final stage is a 15 to 17 mile build into some of the most remote backcountry, almost in the lower 48, but definitely in Michigan, uh, hugging the shoreline. So that project is a little more in depth. It involves state land, some federal grants, and is about a $500,000 build. So the money is sitting there waiting in grants. We're starting to just lay out the um, the mapping and the route so that even to route and map that is um, an extensive project within itself. So stay tuned to the Copper Harbor Trails Club uh, Facebook page. 
or website for details on how that project is evolving. Well, Chris, we really appreciate your uh, your willingness to interview with us and tell us about the the Copper Harbor community and the Greater Keweenaw Peninsula. Place is amazing, and and like Chris said, if you if you I don't care where you're from, you got to come here. It's definitely worth the trip. Thanks, Josh. Yeah, and if anybody's up here, I'm at the Outdoor Activity Center at the Mountain Lodge. You're welcome to uh, come talk to me about anything trails related or anything at all or inside tips into the community. So um, stop by at the Outdoor Activity Center anytime. Hope to see you there. You do provide guided tours also, right? We do provide guided tours, yeah. And as a final little note, if you're new to the area and you want to uh, go out with uh, me or one of our experienced guides, uh, the Mountain Lodge is offering free guided tours to the public. There's a ride Friday night, 5 to 7, uh, ride then socialize. And then there's two rides on Saturday, 10 o'clock is a beginner ride. And 1 o'clock is a, um all-adventure ride. So if you're looking for someone to ride with or just want to have a little bit of a social experience while you're riding, um, come join us. Cool. Thank you, Chris. Thanks, Josh. Appreciate you being here. Have a good day. Thank you for listening. Links for the various topics discussed in the show can be found in the show notes. If you like what you've heard, please take the time to share these shows with others. Sharing these shows will help create awareness of both the guests who have taken the time to be on the show and the podcast series itself. This podcast has been made possible by Mountain Bike Radio, Smith's Bike Shop in La Crosse, Wisconsin, and is an Evolution Trail Services production. If you have ideas on future communities or people to feature on Trail Effect, please don't hesitate to reach out by emailing evolutiontrails at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening. Thank you.